Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Flexible Dieting Podcast. I'm Joe Klimzeski with Kevin Brunacini and Austin Kiergaard. Today, we're going to talk about food quality. And I just did a research review for the Flexible Dieting Institute. You can watch that on carb quality. But I want to, I want to have a smaller conversation where we talk about all three macronutrients and just some of the top things that you need to know about quality and if it's that important, how you discern uh, where you're going to spend some time looking for higher quality foods. So protein first, um, I think from bioavailability to the PEDCAS scale, protein uh, correct or protein digestibility corrected amino acid scale, a lot of people get a little bit too concerned about the the quality, thinking there there must be a top top level to each. And, and I want to start with you first, Austin, because as a dietitian, you you have to know a little bit more than probably even Kevin and, and me on these. So, so if you're telling a client, mm, egg whites, chicken breast, beef, tofu, this, that, an ounce of cheese, the protein and peanut butter, where, where do you draw the line on where somebody has to really put some emphasis? That's a great question. Uh, I talk to people about a little bit like you had mentioned the bioavailability because I get people asking about eggs, like, Oh, eggs are supposed to be like the most bioavailable protein and so great. And they are, they are great. There's other protein sources that are great as well. I try to tell them similar to you not to get so hung up because we need to make sure like from a protein standpoint that we're getting uh, a full panel of amino acids, right? There's complete non-complete proteins. So we need to make sure that we're consuming those. If someone is uh, like a vegetarian or something and they don't eat a lot of meat, then we have to look at complementary proteins. Complementary proteins are going to take amino acids from one thing and amino acids from the other, and they're going to eventually make a complete set of proteins. So it can go very deep down that rabbit hole of of quality. And uh, I try to create less stress for my clients and saying like, let's maybe not stress about that. Unless if you truly want to learn about it, then that's a separate conversation. We can have that. But um, for the average person or maybe the average person listening, just knowing that there are more than one type of protein, there is more than one type of carb, there is more than one type of fat, and there's things that we need to pay attention to as far as like what is more and less nutrient dense for us and also what makes sense for us. So that's that's kind of the start of the conversation, but I'll, I'll pass it back to you, uh, Joe. Yeah. And, you know, Kevin, I'm going to kind of almost skip you on this one and just bring you in for a conversation on fat quality. Great. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but if you have anything you want to contribute, that's just so meaningful that we we have to cover. That'd be fine. <laughs> but but my, my point is besides the liver amino acid pool and, and being able to make complete proteins internally, Austin, we're also getting protein in throughout the day. And in somebody who is looking at total macronutrients if you're getting 30 or 40 grams from this source and 20 or 30 from here, even the couple grams of protein you get innocuously from a granola bar or something, you're adding all that up. And at the end of the day, if you think by eating just this highest bioavailable source, you're doing something that is going to supersede every other part of your effort panel, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. I don't think it's going to show you know up on any you know marker later on. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Austin. yeah, that's no, no, that's a great, I'm glad you brought that up. So that, that's very relevant, right? Like if we just focus on, and this is a, a topic that we might have to bring up down the road. Like if we just focus on the highest bioavailable thing, the highest organic thing, the highest natural thing, the highest quality of everything, right? Um, you know, we, from what I've seen in the clinical setting and I've looked at a lot of people's labs and their, in their charts and stuff like that, like 
it's very negligible on on the lipid panel that we're seeing, right? What what also uh, plays a big role is that we are consuming enough because we can talk about food quality, but are we getting enough of what we need, whether it is proteins, carbs, or fats? Are we actively exercising? You know, are we doing those things? Those things over time can make an impact on the blood panels. But to your point, if it's like getting some negligible protein here and getting here, like these calories don't just disappear. Like one of my favorite things that I look back on that I used to like be a big believer in growing up is like that anabolic window where it's like, I got to drink this protein right afterwards. And, and that protein doesn't count. That protein is just being washed away because it was just what was burned. It's like, no, that's still, you in, you ingest that. Like, how does that, that, how do, how do those calories post-workout not count towards anything? Like they don't just disappear. You know what I mean? So I, I say that because it's to your point, like these calories add up over time. We need to, you know, try not to overcomplicate these things, but also be aware of the nuances that go into them. Right. right. And so I, I think this is where it makes a little bit more sense to be concerned about quality, Kevin, and that's with fat because saturated, unsaturated, omega-3s, there are reasons why you want to do something that's that's very valuable for your health in this realm. So uh, I'm, I'm going to let you just, just run with your thoughts on the difference in fat quality, Kevin. There's a, depending on what, uh, what uh, group you're hanging out with, there's going to be a dichotomy when it comes to fat, just like there is with, with carbs. I don't know if there is one for protein necessarily, um, but there is a, there is a good or bad camp when it comes to fats. Um, and what that equates to is there's a plenty of evidence and a generalized consensus on, on the negative consequences of, of saturated fats. Um, it's not to say that you can't have, have a gram or, you know, or milligrams, I should say, it's not to say that's going to be a, an automatic, uh, MI for you, but everything, the dose with, uh, the dose makes a poison. So always, keep, always keep context in the pit, in the picture, but saturated fat, there are cardiovascular risk with overconsumption, add in other risk factors that may be in a clinic in a patient's profile, such as obesity, diabetes, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, I think it's, uh, as far as the actual limits that is that it has set to is seven percent of calories for saturated fat intake. Um, I'm not sure what that would necessarily equate to uh, in a daily picture, but um, what do you, what do you think in terms of th- there's a lot of chatter from different camps, pop culture, nutrition mm-hmm. influencers who are in the the carnivore and you know keto type camp will say saturated fat intake has no bearing. And and I've heard phrases like even cholesterol, you're eating bacon or something like that. It just does not lead to atherosclerosis. Um, where where do you come down on that? There has to be empirical evidence. I just don't hang out with those people. That's why I stay inside. But uh, it it's just laughable when those claims are made. It there's plenty of evidence, not just recent, but long standing evidence, grounded evidence of of higher the higher the LDL, the worse your cardiovascular risk is. Granted, right. there's more that that factors into it, but if you just look at that simply, you know, it's just stupid of an argument to even you know, there is no argument. It is pretty clear on the evidence that there is a risk to saturated fat intake and that's in its implications towards LDL and other lipid negative lipid markers. Are, are you big on telling clients that you, you we need to supplement omega threes? I need to see this much olive oil in your diet, or you know, flax or chia seeds and things like that. Not off the gun, or off the not off 
right away. Um, granted, a lot of my clients are very generalized. So, you know, most of the time they're not going to understand what that probably means anyways. So that's, you know, that's where we're going to start first. But, you know, as we go through the process and things become improved from food quality standpoint, then yes, just like with carbs, you know, not say that fibrous or simple carbs are good or bad. It's just, there's a continuum, there's strategy, but they have to understand both and when to apply both much like with fats too. If there's, you know, when that, when they are ready to understand those differences, then let's improve upon their quality that may not exist. And thus monounsaturated fats, uh, just unsaturated sources in general, say um, that's is the predominant source that they ought to be including. And that's really maybe my only dogmatic thing I say nutritionally is limit saturated fats. If I have to go a step further, avoid trans fats. Yeah. And, and this is beyond the scope of what we're going to talk about today, but it, I just wrote down a note that we should do some research reviews on fat because I want to see with, with, different types of research being concluded, does that really impact, for example, you know, you're reducing risk of MS or increasing neural transmissivity of, you know, cognitive function and all that, because your brain is, is so much fat by weight. Anyway, all of that aside, let's turn to carbohydrates real quick. Cause I mentioned, we did a research review this week in the flexible dieting Institute. And I was pretty shocked at this. This was a meta-analysis of all the meta-analyses looking at 50 years of research since the glycemic index came out as a measuring tool. And I was pretty shocked to find out with over 2 million subjects reviewed on in observational epidemiological studies, and then almost as much done in randomized control trials and adding all of this up. So millions and millions of subjects, dozens and dozens of meta-analyses, and Absolutely zero, nada, not one correlation in glycemic index value to weight loss or obesity. And so for all of the people who have ever been afraid of eating a banana or watermelon or white rice instead of brown rice, or God forbid, an actual sugar source, something like a Pop-Tart or a bowl of cereal versus, you know, I must get all my carbohydrates from broccoli there's just zero impact on weight loss or obesity. And so the entire insulin model that has taken a lot of shots in recent years really seems to be kind of on its last leg. And the irony is, of course, we can see that the differences in glycemic index value impacts blood sugar elevation and rate of elevation, which then correlates to increases in insulin. But overall, over time, across all of these studies in every type of trial and observational mechanism, it just doesn't matter. It just all gets washed out to the fact that it's just quantity and not quality. So with that bit of a lengthy introduction and review of our research review, Austin, uh, where do you come down on practically asking clients to take a step toward higher quality with carb sources and why? Uh, this goes back to our kind of our previous video. The ones I've been asking more is if there's, you know, stalled like weight loss or if there's GI symptoms, I kind of just ask what is the quality of food that they're eating and then have that conversation from there. Uh, I have almost all of my clients implement a flexible approach. I do have some general population clients that so they want something a little more structured, but that's kind of in hopes that we can kind of ease into talking about a flexible approach because to the point of this study, I mean, they can still see weight loss, whether they eat brown rice, brown rice, brown rice or white rice, uh, 
or if, if they want to have uh, carrots instead of broccoli or whatever. So I talked to him about, you know, I believe it's still important to make sure that we're eating things that do have a lot of health benefits, right? Making sure we're getting a certain amount of fruit, certain amount of vegetables, uh, making sure that the fats we are consuming are more like mono or polyunsaturated fats, not a ton of saturated. And if they want to know why, then I dive deeper into that information. So I like to talk about like, it's okay to have flexibility and have foods that you want. It makes it even better if we can make them fit within our numbers because the dose makes the poison, right? If we eat too much of anything, there can be some sort of unfortunate symptoms that come along with that. And then also let's pay attention to things that make sense. Like let's eat a good variety of fruits and vegetables because there's a lot of nutrients our body wants to get from those. And let's also make sure we have some enjoyment in this process. So that's usually the conversation I have with them. Well, you, you, you literally covered every point I made in the research review on even, even though higher glycemic, higher sugar based carbohydrate sources do not impact your ability to lose weight or maintain your body composition what would then be the reasons to step out and say, well, I'm still going to eat healthier foods most of the time. You literally listed them all GI health, uh, the, the phytonutrients for just better health in general. These studies were looking at just weight loss, not, um, you know, cancer risk and that sort of thing. And so I think I, it's important to, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I think it's important to, I think people need to remember that the glycemic index, it changes when you add other things, right? That's just looking at carbohydrate sources. The glycemic index is completely different when you start pairing it with a protein and a carb or a protein, carb and a fat. So like, I understand it from like a quality perspective, like let's, let's look at how carb quality is, but it almost goes completely just zero. Like it does no significant difference when we start adding additional macros to it. So sorry, I just feel like that should get brought up too. Cause I think no, people get it, it's, it, it, it's funny you bring that up because that was at the end of this 50 or so page um, meta-analysis, that was one of their discussion points and, and it was kind of a main point. So you know, they're, you're, yeah. they're, you're thinking align with them, but I'm going to stop it here. I know we're going to cover some of these topics in much greater detail, but as we start creating this canon of information for our clients and, and audience in the flexible dieting Institute, we want to make sure that we're getting some really core foundational information up front. So we will see you guys next time with some more great topics like that in the flexible dieting podcast. Mm -hmm.